Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 19, Continuous Improvement and Grief. What a year we've been through. One thing you can say for sure about the COVID-19 pandemic is that we've all experienced a massive amount of change, and a lot of that change has involved loss. Some of us have lost family members, friends, neighbors, Some have lost jobs, others have lost their businesses. For those of us who practice lean thinking, this means that we are working with people who are living through many levels of grief, our employees, our bosses, our colleagues, and even ourselves. How does a lean leader address an emotional elephant in the room like grief? My guest is Anthony Casablanca who has been researching and learning what it means to lead grieving employees. Anthony Casablanca is an accomplished lean thinking senior executive who led both human resources and manufacturing and logistics at the Batesville Casket Company before leading another company as president. He now consults with business leaders on purpose-driven leadership. He is the co-author with his brother Guy Casablanca of The Dying Art of Leadership, How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Their Work. Anthony Casablanca, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Well, thanks so much for having us on, Bella. This is awesome. Thank you. I'm very um, excited to talk to you today about a topic that I think that uh, a lot of us in the lean community are going to be facing over the next um, few months as people start to get back into work and back into um, their offices. But you're really here, I think, to talk to us about a couple of things. And one is, is the concept of adaptive leadership. And then the other is, well, how does that apply to situations where people that you're working with are experiencing some form of grief. So I would love to know how um, did you get to where you are today in terms of developing that way of thinking? Sure, sure. So um, in my background, and I won't won't take you through all of the, the details on my background, but I was really fortunate to work with a couple of uh, key individuals um, in that, uh, that focused on lean and really sort of taught me the principles of lean. One was a gentleman by the name of Mark Deluzio, who is often pointed to as mm-hmm. the father of the Danaher business system. Uh, and the other one was a, um, another uh, female who came out of, um, uh, she came out of Delphi, I think, uh, and Parker Hannafin, a gal by the name of Jan Santerre. And one of the, the, one of the key principles that they both sort of drilled into me was lean isn't about the tools. Lean is really about respect for, uh, for people 
-hmm. and the business system and culture that you've put in place. The tools just support all of that. And so uh, I, had the, I had the distinct pleasure of learning from both of them. I led two lean transformations, uh, one in the organization Batesville Casket Company that I sort of grew up in. Uh, and then I was appointed uh, president of another operating company owned by the same parent company, uh, a company called Rotex. Uh, and both of those were owned by Hillenbrand. And I got the opportunity to, as a president of an organization, go in and, and conduct a lean transformation. And so this whole notion of respect for people was really, I learned that um, from two of the best, frankly. Um, and I learned it early in my lean training. And I got to watch it play out um, over and over and over again in my career from you know, doing site visits and walking the floor and talking to operators about um, things that stressed them and whether or not the changes that we were making were making a difference in their work environment and had some great learning moments there, uh, all the way to you know, having to sit across the table from folks where we were shutting a plant down and consolidating operations and had to help them through over the course of the next year transitioning out of the workforce, um, the whole respect for people uh, piece of lean just was just always at the forefront and it became a huge piece of my leadership style. Um, and so when my brother and I decided that we were going to come together and, and work and, and collaborate on this book, um, there's a ton of books written about grief counseling and grief on the mm -hmm. individual side, but no one has tackled it from the leadership side. And it was almost a natural, uh, given what I'd learned about the culture of lean, to come at grief in the workplace from the perspective of how should leaders help emotionally traumatized people excel at work. And the book we're talking about is The Dying Out of Leadership, how leaders can help grieving employees excel at work. It's mm -hmm. by your brother Guy yes. and, and yourself. Yes. And this is, it's, it's, it's a, I would say it's a wonderful, you see, I've got a post-it note in here. And it's a wonderful size too. I mean, I mean, there's more to a book than the size, but this is a book that you can probably sit down and get through in a, in a, few, in a few days and then go back to um, right. time and again as you need. So it's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, um, it's not a huge tome to have to. Right, to right, to right. right. We tried not to write War and Peace, but we also yeah. didn't want it to be a trifold pamphlet. So, so tell us about Guy. Uh, so Guy is in a very interesting story. Guy, um, uh, somehow the two of us wound up in the death care business, right? Uh -huh. I, I worked for Batesville Casket Company and my brother got fascinated uh, after my father passed away at a very young age. Um, he got fascinated with the death care business as a result of my father's funeral and um, the, the gentleman who owned the funeral home that we, we handled my dad. I actually went to high school with him and he and my brother started talking and my brother was looking for you know, his path in life. And the gentleman said, hey, if you, if you want, come work for me for the summer and I'll, I will show you as much as I legally can show you about the funeral business. Uh, and my brother was like a senior in high school and it just clicked and he loved it. And so he got into funeral service as a result of that. Uh, he went on to get his, uh, he's duly licensed as, a, as both a, 
a funeral director and a, and a, a mortician, um, which means he's, he's trained at both the front dealing with families as well as the very tactical and science end of it back in the embalming room. Um, and so he's been running funeral homes for uh, the last however many years and dealing with uh, grieving families uh, on a daily basis. Um, he probably deals with just families alone, not even the extended family. He probably deals with several hundred grieving families uh, every year. Um, and one of the things that stuck in his mind was how often people said they were dreading going back to work. Mm, um, and why is that? Um, because of the awkwardness, because they're really uh, emotionally not ready to go back to work, but their bereavement leave, you know, you only get three days. Yeah. So, um, and just the stresses and the emotion uh, and the fact that nobody, nobody knows how to talk to them or wants to talk to them or knows what to do. Um, and so as we began to research this, it started out with sort of death as the, as the, uh, the primary factor. But as we researched the book, we found that uh, actually the loss of a loved one is the smallest piece of what causes people emotional trauma, right? If you think about divorce, a significant illness diagnosis, the list just goes on and on and on. A family member dealing with opioid addiction. Um, there is, the, the, the list is endless of the things that, that uh, will lead a person to grieve. Um, with COVID, the isolation, mm -hmm. uh, the, the new struggles of working from home and my kids aren't in school and my spouse lost her job. And I mean, the list is truly endless. And so it, it has a big, big impact. Um, studies have been done that say maybe as many as one in four employees are grieving when they come to work. Uh, and it costs companies somewhere between $75 billion and $100 billion a year in lost productivity. So, it's very, uh, so that is what the emphasis of the book is about. So it's very interesting then, you know, because it, it is something that everybody experiences right if you live in a family you are going to experience some kind of loss right. or grief even if it's something a joyful loss like your children leaving home to go to college right uh, you know or you know moving to a new place um so so that's part of everybody's life um and yet at work um we are expected to behave as if none of that is going on or we right. only talk we only talk about the happy things right so so why is that? Do you do you and Guy have a theory about that? Uh, so yes, um, it is more than just a theory, actually. Yeah. Um, first of all, our society in general does not deal well with this topic at all, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you're like me, and I would hope that the world is, I'm not that different from the rest of the world. We've all had those moments where we're walking through the grocery store and we catch somebody out of the corner of our eye who we know is going through a difficult time. And our first thought is, gosh, I hope they don't see me because I don't know what to say to them. Mm. And it's going to get emotional. And so you spend the rest of the time going down the grocery aisles trying to make sure you're never in the same aisle as that person because you, you just don't want to deal with the emotion and the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness. Um, so society in general doesn't deal well with it. Then as we've learned through the research for the book, 
there is no leadership training that leaders will ever get on how to handle this, right? Uh, in fact, there's a quote at the very beginning of our book from uh, a, a businessman and author by the name of James, James Autry, who says, they never teach you in business school what to say when your employee comes in and says, I've been diagnosed with cancer. There's just no training out there. Uh, and then the third piece is organizations don't have any processes to deal with this really, right? They've never set the expectations with their leaders. They've never trained their leaders and they don't have any processes to figure out how to deal with this. So everybody defaults to the policy and assumes that you're gonna just suck it up and come back to work and you are gonna be able to check your emotions at the door, um, which those lines got very blurry over the last year because the mm -hmm. office door and the home door became the same door. Right. Um, and you know, and so that's the reason that we don't deal very well with this. It is the most emotional, the most awkward, the most uncomfortable, the most unspoken leadership challenge that a leader will face. And there's really no resource for them. And it seems to me also from a from a, a lean um, you know work planning perspective that organizations uh, normally plan to close to their capacity or over their capacity anyway. And right. so then there's still then there's an expectation of continuing productivity that right. has to be met because they haven't looked at, at uh, you know how much capacity do we need for us to be human beings? Right, right. And at the end of the day, we believe you're losing that productivity anyway because this person is not concentrating and depending on the role that they're in might actually be quite a liability mm. right? um, from a safety perspective for themselves or those around them right i mean i wrote an article about um actually it, it had to do with uh an experience i had with a family whose um, mother died from uh, complications of COVID. She was 80 something years old in a nursing home, right? Um, had this happened a year or two ago, she would have gotten the flu, would have developed pneumonia, would have died, and the family would have been like, well, you know, it's a shame, but she was 84. But the fact that it was COVID related put a whole different dynamic on this whole thing. And one of the questions I raised at the end of the article was, so what if this woman's son is actually a truck driver and he's barreling down the road thinking about all of this stuff, totally distracted. His eyes are on the road, but his mind is a million miles away thinking about the loss of his mom. Do you really want him coming up behind you in a construction zone? Um, and if he does have an accident, they're gonna drug test him and they're gonna check his cell phone to see if he was on his cell phone, but no one is gonna ask him if he was grieving. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, I'm, th I'm thinking about uh, people who are working in an organization who, you know, some of whom are going to be hierarchical leaders, you know, you're the boss, you're the manager, right. you're, you're the CEO. But there are also those of us who work um, internally in organizations or externally as consultants working with organizations who are working with teams. So we would see the same thing then. We, or we, we, should, we should expect the same thing, that, that some percentage of the people that we're working with, and maybe a higher percentage now, are going through some, some type of um, traumatic reaction. 
um, to a yes. situation in their lives. Yes, especially, and I, and I learned this on two occasions uh, when I was running the supply chain uh, for Batesville Casket Company, and actually once then and once when I was the Vice President of Human Resources. Something that gets overlooked um, in the workforce is the impact a company's own initiatives have on people. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times people, you'll hear, you'll hear leaders or managers peg people as resistant to change, when in reality, they're grieving, right? When you define grief as any emotionally traumatic event that is significant enough to alter a person's sense of reality, you get grief. And so, especially now with companies in a rush to get back to pre-COVID profitability levels mm -hmm. and all the initiatives that are going on, I was on, a I was on a conference call with a CEO a couple of weeks ago and he said, I get it, I get it. My people are grieving. They were grieving COVID, they were grieving the isolation, they were grieving all our cuts, they were grieving the loss of business. And ironically, they are now grieving that we have to hire 400 people in the next few months, that our business is gonna get back to normal. And they're, they're looking at me and saying, what more do you want from me? And so uh, that's a CEO who actually got it, right? I mean, he used the words that his people were grieving. He got it. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, organizations put out, you know, they, they handle their initiatives with change management, but yep. they leave out the grief management piece. And that's really important. And if you do that, then frankly, you have nothing more than a communication plan. You really don't have a change management plan. Right. You just, you just tell you're telling people in, in nicer and nicer, perhaps better spun ways that a right. change is going to happen. And, that their life is going to suck. And their life's going to be is it will be upended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the other things that really came out to me in the book, and, and the book is, is, is I think, partly your writing and partly Guy's, it goes, it, um, uh, is, is, is the topic of cultural competency when it comes to, to dealing with grief and especially dealing with, with death. Right. Because um, we are now in a much, I think, you know, we're an increasingly diverse world and an increasingly yeah. diverse workplace. So the, a leader then needs additional cultural competency in addition to the competencies you're going to talk to us about 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 how you lead in those situations right, right. yeah we um we included a, a a chapter on that uh particularly from the loss of a loved one right because cultures grieve and have rituals that that go untalked about in the workplace right and so you know it's uh it's it's not unlikely that if uh, if if a uh, uh, a Hindu or a Muslim dies, that you know there are some traditions where people have to shave their heads and people have to actually accompany the body and and you know back to the home country and you know everyone knows of the Jewish rituals that the body has to be in the ground in 24 hours mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. But the bigger point and, and something that. I think is worth talking about here, or at least mentioning. You know, there's an awful lot of talk right now about diversity and diver di about diversity, diversity and inclusion, and inclusion yeah. right? And I have a concern that the way we're going about this is actually going to make it harder 
for that people are, are actually going to get further apart than they are going to get closer together. Um, and so the view we would like people to take of diversity and inclusion, at least when they're reading our book, is uh, hopefully organizations will define diversity and inclusion as being able to be yourself at work. Mm. Right. Yeah. And having a tolerance for people being themselves at work. And I think if we go down that path, um, things will be much better than if we try to, I had somebody tell me the other day that like NBC actually has a policy. I don't know how true this is that NBC actually has a policy that you can't look at a woman for more than so many seconds. If we go down that path, that's a real freaking problem, right? If we go down the path where people are afraid to, to hug each other and shake hands and, and, and talk to one another because, oh my God, I might say the wrong thing and this person might get offended or they're gonna file an ethics complaint on me. I think, I think we're, we're missing the boat. So we tried to take the approach in the book that people need to be able to be themselves at work. And that includes people who have gone through emotional trauma um, they need to be able to be themselves at work as well while they are grieving. And we try to teach leaders how to help them do that to excel at work while they're going through all of that. So it, it starts before this happens though, right? It's, it's for a leader to be prepared in this situation. You Correct. can't all of a sudden hurry up and, and get yourself trained up on, all right, my employee has experienced a traumatic event. Now right. I have to learn about it. So what should leaders be working on before this even happens? Yes, that is, that is a great question. And I'll tie it into the lean concepts here in a moment. But so... Uh, the front half of the book is all about grief. That's the half my brother wrote. Basically, it's the five stages of grief and all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, that's the, that's the back the half, half of the book. The, the back half of the book is all about the leadership aspects and the implications on leadership. And we teach um, principles that we've called adaptive leadership principles, which we apply to these situations. But leaders should follow this model regardless of mm. the timing of things, right? This is how people should lead, right? And the underlying or the underpinning concept uh, without getting into all of the tactics, but the underpinning concept of adaptive leadership is that it's up to the leader to adapt their leadership style to meet the employee where they are in their development cycle, not the other way around. Right. And so we talk about the concept of managing uniformly, which is a huge mistake that that leaders make. Right. They latch on to their leadership style because they either have gotten results with it or they've been rewarded for it. And they apply it to everyone in all situations. And that is a that is a recipe for failure. Right. Um, when instead leaders should be looking for for very key indicators and adapting their leadership style because not everybody needs to be or should be empowered, right? A new person in a role should not be empowered to do whatever they want. They're, they're not ready for that yet, mm -hmm. right? Just like a high performing high potential shouldn't be directed all the time, 
right? Both of those employees are going to get very frustrated with their leader. Um, and so that's the underpinning concept behind adaptive leadership. We then apply that though to the world of grief to help leaders understand that when an emotionally traumatic event happens, even if you have been applying these concepts all along, when that person comes to work on Monday, they are fundamentally not going to be the same person as they were when they left on Friday. And therefore you need to adapt your leadership style and work this model again to help them because they're gonna need more from you and the organization than they needed before the event happened. That's the concept. So, and in the book you, you talk about several factors mm -hmm. uh, that to analyze and, and a little bit about how to analyze those factors in, in order to be able to identify um, how people should be led or, or, the, or the, the best way to lead them in a particular time in their, in their right. career, the, in their development. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you think about, and I won't go into a lot of the details because Because you can um, read the book. You, well, you could read the book or, you know, it, it takes us like, you know, four hours to take you through yeah. this in our training yeah. sessions. So we don't have that kind of time. But at the end of the day, if you think about a three by three matrix uh, with potential on one axis, um, uh, potential on one axis and performance on the other, right? You're plotting people on a matrix against five attributes that we talk about in the book. Um, and um, the, the folks, and the bottom line is, no matter where those people fall on the matrix on a day-to-day -day basis, when a traumatic event happens in their lives, they are going to slide down and to the left, and they're going to need more support from the leader and the team than they did previously, right? Um, and so typically what winds up happening is leaders, A, don't use the model, and B, don't recognize what's going on, right? They, they, they fall into the trap of avoidance because they don't know how to deal with this and don't want to deal with it and are afraid of the emotion. And so the trigger point, instead of it being a proactive thing, right? Instead of, instead of it being a go see, ask why, show respect kind of thing, the trigger point becomes the person's performance slips and the leader manages their performance. And in doing so, further complicates the emotionally traumatic event, puts the employee under more stress, and either the employee doesn't respond and gets worse because you've now increased the stress in their lives, and they wind up being managed out of the organization, and the leader gets rewarded because he quickly identified a talent issue and he managed performance and you know all of those kinds of things, or the person quits because this is no longer the kind of organization that they want to work for, right? Because it feels like they're just a number and not a person anymore. Or worse, they stay and they are they they just disengage. Right? And the and the rest of the team sees that. And the rest of the team sees that. And the rest of the team sees that. And, and therefore, the rest of the team responds the same way. And they're like, this isn't right. Look at the way, right? Look at the way this has this has transpired. Gee, this is how the organization's gonna, if this is how they're gonna treat me, then I'm not, I'm not for that, 
right? I thought I thought we were in a different organization than this. And you know, boy, they have all these flowery words in their vision statement, but apparently they don't mean them. Right. Yeah. All of that begins to bubble up and fester. And then doesn't it mean also that the leader also then has to recognize the impact on the other employees because they're going to be going through their own feelings. You know, maybe if, you know, if it, say it was a death in somebody's family, maybe they knew the person or, you know, if they, 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 they're seeing their colleague go through these reactions sure. or perhaps not seeing their colleague and, and, have, and having to pick up extra work. So what does the leader need to do for the rest of, the, the, um, of their team? Sure, sure. So let me take a step back um, and talk a little bit about what the leader should do to start with, right? Which, yeah. which if you think about, if you think about the lean principles of go see, ask why, show respect, right? We call that engaging, right? So the leader should engage. Don't be afraid to engage. The employee wants to talk about this. There's been lots of research done and many articles published recently about how Employees want to be able to talk about their, their mental and emotional state at work. So, you know, it takes courage, no doubt, but engage in a conversation, right? And in a very compassionate and empathetic way, let the, let the individual know that, that um, you want to help, right? You can't even imagine what they're going through. Whatever the organization and I can do to help, we, we are, we're open to talk about that, right? So engage. Um, the second piece of all of that is to, um, and the adaptive leadership part of it is to actually then do something, right? So mm -hmm. it doesn't do any good to engage and have the conversation and share a few Kleenexes with the person mm -hmm. um, and be vulnerable and then go, well, you know, okay, but we still have this deadline and you still have all this work to do and I expect you to get that done, right? That defeats the purpose. So the second piece is actually adapt your leadership style. Um, and this is where the concept of plan, do, check, act comes in, right? So working with the employee, start to develop a plan of what needs to change so you can support them. Do they need more time off? Do they need to be in less meetings? Do they do you need to take them off some big assignment because it's just overwhelming them? Whatever the case may be. Um, and check in much more frequently than you would have before, right? Um, because it's gonna be very hard for this person to concentrate, right? Regardless of what the mm -hmm. event is, not just the loss of a loved one, but whatever the event might be. Um, in fact, I just, just had a conversation with a lady, um, who went through a horrible divorce, a six-month-old child, horrible divorce. She was now faced with being a single mother, was really having a hard time holding it together, went in to talk to her director. Uh, and basically the director's response was, this is just a blip on the radar screen in your life. You'll be fine, right? Meantime, she couldn't, she was dealing with lawyers and child mm. custody and it was just Yikes. overwhelming her, right? So adapt your leadership style and support to support the individual. And then the one that surprises people a lot is actually engage the team. The team wants to help this person, but doesn't know how. So actually go back to them and say, look, we need to, we need to help Bella out here for a little while. You don't have to disclose why or all of the details, just, hey, 
we're going to have to support her a little bit. So, you know, hey, I'm going to need you to pick up some meetings or Bella's not going to be here every other Thursday, right? If it's a potentially a cancer treatment issue. Uh, every other Thursday or Friday, she's not going to be here. So we need you to sit in for her on those meetings. The team will love doing that. Um, and it will really bond the team. You talk about a team building exercise. If leaders do this well, teams will get stronger. Um, not only around this event, but around every event in the future that might cause a resiliency issue, those teams will be far more resilient than other teams in the organization. And it's about it's about the leader showing the respect for the person who's going through the event and Correct. translating that respect to we all have respect for this person. Correct. We all we all want to help Correct. this person. You know, yes. it's, it's really interesting because I, I've seen this done well and I've seen it done not well. And in fact, the yes. reason that you and I first connected was a LinkedIn post in which you asked a question about this. And I shared Correct. my own story of how when my father died unexpectedly, I basically was put on a plane to go to my next consulting assignment right away. And uh, my manager said, well, you know, it'll help take your mind off what's right. going it's on. Right, it's the best thing for you. It's the best, I mean, that was what they said, the best thing for me. And what I learned was that, that um, really you, there's so much energy that happens in your brain just processing what has happened to you. Yes. It's, 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 it's extremely hard to concentrate. Yes. When, you, when you're doing that and um, and it's extremely hard to hide yeah yeah and um yeah even right. if you you know if, in my case i was it was consulting and you know consultants right. don't have don't have personal lives so right yeah. right so yeah. the interesting thing there is you know you can't you can't write policies and procedures to create your culture leaders create a culture so no matter what your emotional well-being policies are and benefits are, you could, you could, you could give people a month off with pay mm -hmm. for bereavement leave. If the leader doesn't know how to deal with that person, it's destroyed, right? If the leader's calling every week, in essence, to find out when you're coming back, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what what the policies are, right? It's how the leader behaves. It's how the organization behaves. Um, that really makes the difference. Um, and so, you know, even in your case, if even if the leader had just, you know, said, yeah, hey, Bella, you get 30 days off, but would have called you every week and said, so uh, have you talked to this client or have you talked to yeah. that client? It would have had the same effect as him saying, get on the plane, it's the best thing for you. You would have still been upset with the organization and the way they treated you. So, you know, leadership is everything. Yeah, it seems to me from, from a lean perspective though, you know, with, you know, you talked about the importance of this adaptive leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and yet we always wanna talk about leader standard work. But what you have actually described is a leader standard work for this situation. If you're, if you're already basing it on adaptive leadership, you've described a, a standard work process Correct. For, when the, for, for, for when something like this happens. Now, right. what happens, and, and again, I'm thinking of, of folks who are, um, you know, maybe leading from the side, um, right. you know, internal consultants, external consultants, uh, or, or anyone, what happens 
when you are the person that it has happened to and you were in the leadership position. Right. What, what how, how, how does that play out? Um, that's a, that is a, a very interesting question and a great question. In fact, we dedicated an entire chapter in the book to that. Chapter nine is called The Person in the Mirror. And it's about when the leader is the one who is struggling and now what do they do, right? Um, and the, the model still works, but it requires that the leader be even more vulnerable than they were when they were dealing with the grieving employee, right? It takes a pretty vulnerable leader to sit mm. down and have one of those conversations. Uh, it takes a really vulnerable leader to, to garner his team together and say, or her team and say, here's what's going on in my life and I'm really struggling and I need the help. Um, and so I'm gonna need to lean on you all a little bit more um, to help me through this. Uh, that's, that is in fact the best way to handle it, right? Because otherwise, you know, if the leader thinks, uh, well, you know, I gotta, I have to be at work to get all of this done. So my wife will deal with her metastatic breast cancer treatments on her own. It's not a good situation for the home life. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the reality is he's probably not in either place in reality, uh, as opposed to being very vulnerable, sitting down with his team, sharing his or her emotions uh, and what they're struggling with and asking for help. And again, the leader that does that builds an incredibly resilient team and a team that will be willing to challenge in a very respectful way going forward, right? They will, they will come together and, and the, they will be willing to be much more open and much more honest with each other and with the leader, um, which then just leads to higher morale, higher engagement, higher productivity, better resilience, you know, the, all, all of the things that a leader would really want in their team. Uh, there's a great video online, and I reference it at the back end of the book, a gentleman by the name of Colonel Arthur Athens. Mm -hmm. um, he gave a talk at the Naval Academy. He's a retired military uh, Marine colonel. Uh, he gave a talk at the military at the U.S. Naval Academy, and the name of the talk was What's Love Got to Do With It? And in one of the 12-minute segments uh, that you can view online on YouTube, uh, he talks about how, as a Marine Corps colonel, he handled uh, an instance in his life where his newborn son was born with a horrific heart defect and required surgeries and ultimately passed away, and how he became a vulnerable leader in that moment and leaned on his team, and how it changed the way he led in the Marines for the rest of his life. Um, and it was all around being vulnerable. So that's what leaders should do. Be vulnerable and, and engage the team, involve the team, because the team wants to help. They want to help, but they don't know how, especially if it's the leader. So you tend to get the throwaway, you know, obligatory, hey, if you need anything, give me a call, right? And that, that just, that's not the right approach. I, I, so I had, I, I said there was, I had seen it done badly and seen it done well. And I, I, I was in another situation where I had seen this done very well. It's actually with um, 
uh, my boss was at a different company and his uh-huh. wife, his wife died very unexpectedly. And, um, his boss, who was the president of the company, you know, immediately, you know, told him he could take as much time as he wanted. And then he, the president came to us and he said to the team, you all need to handle this now. Right. You need you need to be taking care of each other. It was time for performance evaluations. You've got you know you've got to get your performance evaluations written up. This guy here is going to do your performance evaluations, right. and and it's trust me, it's going to be fine. Right. And by the way, your boss would really benefit from some meals being sent to his house. So can you organize, right. um, you know, I think we did one meal train or something like that. Right. And you, can you get that organized? And everybody just jumped in and um, uh, you're right. We felt we wanted to do something and we didn't, right. you know, we, we didn't know what to do. It was, it right. was, it was very, it was very good. And then, you know, when he came back, then we did feel uh, like a really, um, you know, we have been trusted. Right. Cohesive that, team. Yeah. That made, yep. It made a big difference to yep. us. And in that yeah. moment, the way you felt about that organization probably changed forever. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So Anthony, this has been a great conversation. And um, I do recommend to um, all the uh, lean and continuous improvement folks uh, listening to this to get a copy of this book and to read it because everybody you work with is um, going to be going through something like this in their lifetime as, as you will, and it will be great preparation um, for you. Uh, so again, the, the name of the book is The Dying Art of Leadership, How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Work by Guy and Anthony Casablanca, get my fingers yep. off, the, off, off the cover. So just to wrap this up, um, I would love to hear from you thinking back on what you've learned over all these these years, a couple of years, I'm guessing. Um, what is your advice to young people starting out in their careers? Sure, sure. Wow, great question. A uh, couple of things that I learned uh, over my career. Um, one was, you know, I used to be the guy who wanted to climb the corporate ladder. Um, and you know, progress naturally through the organization. Um, and actually what I learned was that as long as I was working on impactful things, meaningful things, that the learning um, could be very enlightening and very enriching. Um, even though I wasn't getting promoted, I was actually working across the organization. Um, and, and the moment it seemed like Almost the moment that I learned that and gave up the notion of I got to climb the corporate ladder, uh-huh. my career took off. My career took off. Uh, I was getting all of these developmental assignments. I was working in sales. I was working in marketing. I was working in human resources. Uh, and, I, and I never, ever had to look for a, promotive, a promotion opportunity again in the organization. So, you know, one of the things I learned was as long as you're really, as long as you're working on impactful stuff, don't get too concerned about your title. Um, because the organization is telling you they value you if they're giving you impactful things to work on. And then the other thing that I learned on multiple occasions that ties directly back to, to lean leadership is 90% of the people you work with care. Mm. They really do. 
Um, and, you know, in my instance, I learned it multiple times from hourly workers who everybody sort of thumbed their nose at, looked down their nose at them because they're just hourly workers. But when I sat down and talked with them, I learned just how much they cared about the job they were doing or not doing um, and how much stress they felt when things in their work environment didn't go well. Um, and they were lessons that stuck with me my entire career that, that just because somebody's working on an assembly line doesn't mean they don't care. Or just because somebody is a clerk in some department doesn't mean they don't care. Um, and it really, it really caused me to take to heart and internalize the lean principle that a leader's job is to make the work easier to get done for their people. Um, and a lot of times leaders think that means more breaks and those kinds of things. And that is not at all what it means. Um, it means eliminating the waste and the errors mm -hmm. and all of those kinds of things. Um, and I had a very emotional conversation one day with an individual in the plant in a, in a plant that I was responsible for that taught me that lesson in spades and I've never forgotten. So 90% of the people in your organization really do care um, and they deserve to have a leader that cares as well. Wow, terrific advice. Thank you so much. And thank you My for this. My pleasure. This has been a, a great journey. Um, I would say it's to the edges of the lean, but it's always, it's always back to the center, which is respect for people. So right. It's been, right. it's been wonderful having you. Right, thank you. So two things before we close. One, um, folks can find out more about us at our website at griefleaders.com. And cool. I'm also going to be doing, and I will make sure you get a link that you can share with your folks. Uh, starting in May, I'm actually gonna do a, I think it's gonna be a six or a seven part series called Respect for People, the conversations leaders aren't having with their folks. Um, that will delve into the concepts of the book a little deeper. And it'll be a webinar series through, you know, I'll put the link out on LinkedIn, but I'll make sure you get a copy of that link and can pass it along to, uh, to your podcast. Absolutely. That's great. Thanks. Yes. You bet. Appreciate it. You bet. So thanks, Bella. All right. Thank you. This is Bella Engelbeck, and I'd like to thank Anthony Casablanca for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. What have you learned from listening to Anthony about managing grief? No matter where you listen, let us know, and your ratings, reviews, and comments are greatly appreciated. Please join me in exploring more of The Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbein. This is a Lean for Humans production.